1: Herschel Walker's mystifying comments raised new questions about his campaign. And they were talking about the Green New Deal, you know, climate change. I'm going to help you all with that real quickly. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on what's happening in Georgia politics. Coming up later, the latest on the January 6th committee hearings as the panel ties Trump allies to extremist groups, and we'll talk about Stacey Abrams' efforts to one-up Governor Brian Kemp. First, we'll talk about Herschel Walker. Uh, His campaign is facing more trouble. We talked last week about the latest in the spate of revelations that his own aides don't trust him. Patricia, he didn't make things much better in the past few days. He held two closed press events in the span of one week. We haven't seen much of him except for on the airwaves or on social media the last few weeks, really. You tried to go to one of his um, events at the Buckhead Young Republicans that was closed to the press. And our buddy from WABE, Raul Bali, tried to get into a uh, Hall County GOP event in a public park and was turned away. You wrote very effectively that he's running this velvet rope campaign, you know, with not necessarily always closed events, but just tightly controlled events that media often doesn't know about. He seems, you know, he seemed to kind of move away from that in the run up to the May primaries. He started doing more events, getting more access, even giving some interviews. Well, now we're kind of back to that that velvet rope approach, it seems like.
2: Yes, and you know, we were told at the end of that primary season that Herschel Walker would be changing up his press strategy. They would go from this situation where he did events and there were members of the public at the events, but we didn't know how to find them. Nobody knew how to get to those events unless they were specifically invited or a member of the right GOP county party. So, yes, they were open in some cases, but not Public and certainly not with an exchange of ideas, not um, not with reporters invited. We were told that will change. You know, during the primary, they didn't really have to do any more than that. He was running away with that thing, so why bother? If you're (laughs) you've got if you're pulling at seventy percent, why rock the boat? Well, now they're in a completely different situation, which we said he would be, and we expected him to be. We also expected his press strategy to change, and as you said, it changed a little bit, but then with Each major scandal, or you could call it a press dust up, whatever you want to call it, the the piece about his staff not trusting him and saying that he... Lies like he breathes. The information about his kids, uh, who we didn't know about before, you just started to feel the circle get closer and closer and tighter and tighter. And now they're back to doing events. Again, people are invited, but you have to be invited. You have to know what's happening. And I think that it's obvious why they're worried. They're worried he's going to say something that is not going to play well on camera. It is going to embarrass them, it's going to embarrass him. Lo and behold, the event where Rahul was kicked out. Indeed, the uh, Hall County GOP, to their full credit, put that event on Facebook Live. There was full transparency on their part, and everyone was able to see what Herschel Walker was saying. And a lot of those quotes did not play well outside of that very small group of supporters who did like to hear what he said. But when you get outside of that bubble, the rest of the world and and uh, Georgia voters writ large are just very very confused.
1: Yeah, we'll get to those quotes in a second. But one of the interesting things to me is, oddly enough, this reminds me of David Perdue's strategy, not in the Republican primary just a few months ago, but in the 2020 campaign and 2021 runoff, where he'd have bus tours and he'd be out there at six stops a day. And, and yet, you know, we in the media would hardly know. I'd have to get tips from activists saying, Hey, he's going to be in Monroe in three hours, make it out here. Right. Things like that, because his campaign was not being proactive at reaching out to the media whatsoever. And so he'd have an event that would get 12 people or 25 people or 55 people in Gainesville, but no reporters would show up. It'd just be supporters. And he could say he was on the campaign trail. He could say he was answering questions, but he wasn't really, you know, <laughs> answering a full slate of questions. And the other thing that keeps on coming up, Patricia, is, you know, the campaign. And I've talked to his campaign's top strategists about this. They say, oh, each time we complain about a private event, they said, oh, the organizers, this was up to the organizers. Well, there's two holes to blow in that argument. First is that in the Hall County GOP's case, it's (laughs) not true because the Hall County GOP's official Twitter feed tweeted that it was the campaign's request. Second of all is that if you're the nominee, Republican nominee for Senate, unless you're like on an aircraft carrier, unless unless you're in a very, you know, uh, hard to reach place, not a public park, not a venue, not a, you know, you get to dictate who shows up. I mean, we've both been in events- where there's very tight space. And we've been with, you know, presidential candidates and presidents and governors and sitting senators, including Senator Raphael Warnock, where we're in tight spaces and there's not much access, but hey, the press does, the press gets access. And we're not talking about 50 or hundred reporters who would have flooded Paul County GOP meeting on a Saturday morning. You were just talking about a handful. And yet, you know, they kind of throw their hands up and say, hey, it was up to the event. It's up to the organizers. It just doesn't ring true to me. Well, it's just because it's not true,
2: okay? There is no (laughs) county party in this state. If Herschel Walker said, hey, I'd like to invite the media, is that okay with you? They would all say, of course, whatever you want to do, Herschel Walker, we are here for you. Exactly. So that is just And and you shouldn't go, you should not blame these county parties. They are just trying their best, okay? I would also like to have it on the record. I'm happy to go to an aircraft carrier if there's a press conference. so am I. (laughs) With Herschel Walker and transportation provided, I will be there. Um, But also, it, it creates this very weird dynamic. It feels like cat and mouse, you know. It feels like they are hiding from something. And it feels like they have made a decision that this is not going to be a campaign about Persuasion—it's not going to be about getting people over to your side and convincing them. It's going to be about turnout. We're going to go in front of audiences that are familiar. We're going to dig in on GOP loyalists who we know are going to be for us no matter what he says or does, and that's the strategy. Um, that may be the only strategy that is available. Um, but you know, there's still four months left to go, and I'm always a big believer that what vo- voters are big on forgiveness um, if you go out and explain yourself. And they're big on on, uh, understanding and empathy, but hiding and blaming and obfuscating and uh, then later having the video come out anyway is just not a good look. It also gives an absolute clear playing field to Raphael Warnock, who at this point is just minding his own business. (laughs) And um, he invites us to events, we go to events, he is up on the hill, that's all open to the press almost entirely. But it really takes a lot of the spotlight and just inadvertently focuses the spotlight entirely on their candidate, which seems to be the opposite of what they're trying to achieve.
1: Yeah, and Patricia, this was a double whammy for Herschel Walker as you alluded earlier because barring the press only highlighted more attention on what was actually said at that closed press event at that public park in Hall County where, you know, both me and you listened to the live stream over the weekend and we both had um there's a lot to digest. To me, one of the biggest parts was him saying that China created the coronavirus, which is an unfounded, unsubstantiated accusation that was that was very popular in far right circles at the start of the coronavirus pandemic to help insulate then President Donald Trump from criticism about his handling of the disease. Also, as part of that speech, he gave this bewildering statement, which we're about to hear, about why he doesn't support new measures to clean air pollution. Let's listen. We, in
0: America, have some of the cleanest air and cleanest water of anybody in the world. So what we do is we're going to put from the Green New Deal millions or billions of dollars cleaning our good air up. So all of a sudden, China and India ain't putting nothing in there cleaning that situation up. So all that bad air is still there. But since we don't control the air...
1: Our good air decided to float over to China, bad air. So when China gets our good air, their bad air got to move.
0: So it moves over to our good air space. And now we got to clean that back
1: up. So Patricia, we heard the audience laughing. Maybe Herschel Walker's camp will start saying that this was meant as a joke, you know, in black and white. When we printed it in the jolt, it got national, international attention. Celebrities and other media outlets were linking to it. And, you know, all sorts of political figures were highlighting the transcript because in black and white, it looks pretty rough. And, you know, just hearing it, it sounds pretty rough too. I couldn't follow it the first few times I heard it. I think we were talking about it Monday morning. This is not the first time by any means Herschel Walker has given a bewildering statement or comment about a policy stance. But it does speak to the ongoing issues. I and mean, even with softball questions, this was just a stump speech. This was not a town hall meeting where someone asked him about it. But even when he's getting softball questions from friendly media hosts like on Fox News, he's struggled. I mean, it reminds me of that question he got about gun rights after a, a mass shooting. And he started talking about social media platforms that need to supervise young men and women. This is continuing to be an issue for him.
2: Yeah. First of all, where's the stump speech? I mean, when I there's so many campaigns, almost all campaigns that you cover, you'll hear a candidate's stump speech. Here's here are the three things I care about. Here's what you should know about me. Boom, I'm done. It it it. This particular speech was just meandering all over the place. I personally was distracted by his comment that Democrats were enslaving people by trying to. I don't really know exactly what he was talking about after it that. Was something to do with it was Juneteenth, wasn't it? Yes. Well, he was talking about Juneteenth and liberty and Democrats enslaving people. And so, I was quite distracted by that portion of the speech. But it's just all over the place. That is just not necessary. There is a very easy way to tighten up a practiced, rehearsed stump speech. And this man is a professional, motivational speaker. So, I, it's just confounding to me why this is happening, but that's just a complete other aside. That is actually not the point of this whole conversation. Um, But it really does speak to um, the fact that we are, we're now four months out of election day and they, it feels like we are going backward. At the beginning of the campaign, the events that he had were sit down Q and A's with a friendly person like Reed asking him questions, teeing him up with answers, and then he would answer it. And then it feels like they and then they have started to sort of get more into a lengthier speech format. And that is not working. And it feels like this campaign needs to be retooled a little bit. And as a result, a number of new staff have come in at a relatively senior level. Uh, they're also um, promoting some staff from within. Of course, they're keeping their campaign manager, Scott Paradise. But this really does feel like an airplane that's being built in the air. You know, It doesn't mean they can't land it, but th- it's a unu- very unusual structural change to see at this point in the campaign.
1: Yeah, the Washington Post termed it as a rescue mission. I don't know if I agree with that because some of these campaign staffers have, were, you know, were quietly announced weeks ago. This wasn't a, you know, one fell swoop sort of thing. Some of them were like Scott Paradise or sticking around. Others like Chip Lake are very well known to to folks like me and you. You know, they're veteran Georgia operatives who are well respected and are very good at what they do and very good at messaging. But we are already seeing a new messaging strategy, and I don't know if it's because of this this new, uh, this new rescue mission, this new takeover, these new staffers, this new approach, but we are certainly seeing a different sort of style. And we pointed that out in Tuesday's Jolt, which is usually candidates don't like to add fuel to the fire. They usually don't after an embarrassing gaffe or, or something that's drawing a lot of eyeballs and attention usually don't double down. They usually kind of change the subject or just stay quiet. And that's certainly been Walker's approach. You know, one story in particular, when he talked about evolution, you know, questioned the re- the, the uh, legitimacy of the theory of evolution, his campaign hardly said anything about that, right? <laughs> They'd rather focus on anything else but that. Well, in this case, his campaign manager and other aides were aggressively reaching out to us at the AJC saying, hey, ask Senator Warnock, if he stands by what he thinks about these comments, essentially, and and they were also trying to spin the comments as to saying that China originated coronavirus and China was to blame for a lot of air pollution, which is not what Herschel Walker said. He's, he, you know, we know that coronavirus is tra- we can trace back its roots to Wuhan. We don't know that China created coronavirus in a lab. I know there's theories about that. but We don't know that, and we certainly can't really trust the legitimacy of, his, of air transfer or anything like that because we can't hardly follow it. But, you know, so they're trying to spin the comments as to something, you know, more broadly about the scourge of China. And Patricia, that gave Senator Warnock's campaign kind of a free shot to basically say that he's a liar and a bumbling candidate who doesn't deserve to be in office.
2: Well, I think the the direction that the Walker campaign is going is toward a very familiar Donald Trump line and having covered so many Donald Trump rallies, when Donald Trump talks about China and frankly makes fun of China and blames a lot of things on China, that is a huge applause line. Trump world, Trump land loves an attack on China. And I kind of think that's what Herschel Walker was doing there, although it is just so hard to follow. <laughs> so hard to follow. Um, But that is why they're focusing this. They are trying to dig in again on those Trump voters, a turnout election, on a persuasion election. And that crowd did like what they were hearing. They seem to be following it. I'm not really sure. But again, this is a four months out campaign that should have its message finely tuned, its a candidate well-rehearsed, and a strategy to, uh, in a battleground state, do a little bit better than just the Trump base, because the Trump base keeps losing its elections around here.
1: Well, you were right about that, Patricia. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we're back to Politically Georgia podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the political insiders at the AJC. We're also two of the authors of The Morning Jolt, along with our AJC Washington correspondent colleague, Tia Mitchell. We think The Morning Jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics, and you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join our community right now, this very instant, by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast, and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Patricia, we can also say that we are the nationally renowned Politically Georgia podcast because our friend of the show and also boss, <laughs> Kevin Riley, AJC editor, touted the podcast on the Brian Stelter Show on CNN over the past weekend. And we are very grateful that Kevin promoted our podcast and the AJC's work covering politics because this is just one new way we have to connect with our listeners and readers and also help give a deeper explanation of what's going on in Georgia politics.
2: Yes, it's nationally renowned by the guy who pays our salaries. So thank <laughs> goodness for that. <laughs> thank goodness. Um, you know, and you and I have talked about this a lot, I hear from at this point maybe more people who listen to this podcast than people who read my columns. You know, I will people will say, "Oh, I read your column." And I don't know if they're telling the truth. <laughs> you know, they're like, "Oh, a great column." I'm <laughs> like, "Uh-huh, what was it about?" But people will quote this podcast back to me, which is crazy, and one very intelligent high news consumer, heavy news consumer who I met with recently told me it's his only source of Georgia political news. And
1: I wanted Which to might, say- may or may not be scary.
2: I know. Reconsider. <laughs> please reconsider your choice. At least read The Jolt. And I know he reads The Jolt as well. But no, I, I mean, I want to, I guess this is a good time to thank everybody for tuning in. It's been a, the podcast is going like gangbusters. And I think for you and me, it's like the most fun part of our job.
1: Oh, it really is. And we also get to tout some uh, personal stuff, like uh, the fact that my daughter is insisting that I say on the podcast, and she just got home from her day camp. She's in drama camp now, and it's her seventh production at this particular drama camp. And she got the lead part in Beauty and the Beast. She'll be playing Belle, even though her singing voice (laughs) might be a lot like mine. So we'll see how how she improves that part of her... Her acting repertoire over the next two weeks, but um, she certainly has the timing and the confidence and the skill—all good stuff. So she is. She just got home and she's so thrilled. She got Belle, and we can't wait to um, see her in a couple of weeks. And Patricia, you've got kids coming home from camp in a couple of days.
2: Hey. Yes, I'm so excited to have them back. You know, I think since they were born, they're they're nine years old now. They're twins. I think since the minute they were born, I just thought, you know, if I ever had. Time off like two weeks, I would sleep 12 hours every night and get all my work done early and exercise every day and write letters and clean my closets. You know, and none of that has happened. I've worked, uh, I cleaned like one or two closets, and then most of the time I just sit around missing them and like looking at their pictures in my phone. <laughs> so I, I might will be, be the I'll opposite. Probably be you. more excited than them. <laughs> When, when my eight-year-old well, very went to, um,
1: yeah. when my 8 year old got on the bus to go for 2 weeks cuz my other kid but my older one was on for a month i'm not kidding she she got on the bus leaned out the front step did a peace sign and just said See ya, suckers! <laughs> she got out of she, a, c- a couple of days later, I got a note from her saying, "Hey, Dad, I actually do miss you." So she wasn't all tough and you know whatever. But yeah, they didn't miss me too much. I missed them a little bit, but I, I was very much enjoying some time to like because um, we are we are together. We have been together a lot, especially since the onset of the pandemic.
2: That's the <laughs> that's the truth. I don't know. I just miss I miss my people. I'll be so excited to have them back.
1: Well, it'll be fun, and then like within. I don't know. For us, it was like a day later we were back to normal, which is, which is a lot.
2: The, <laughs> so, the chaos, the chaos
1: ensues. The, it's true. Here's my segue. Speaking of chaos, uh, the January sixth committee. <laughs> Boom. Oy held that seventh hearing on the investigation into the deadly attack on the Capitol. Um, the panel this week focused on tying the Trump administration to groups like the Oath Keepers. And there was some really compelling testimony, Patricia, we're about to hear. Let's listen to Jason, oh God, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, Jason Van Tatenhove, who essentially said the attack could have been so much worse than what we saw.
0: Again, all we have to look at is the iconic images of that day with the gallows set up for Mike Pence for the vice president of the United States you know and and I do fear for this next election cycle because who knows what that might bring if if a president that's willing to try to instill and 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 encourage to whip up a civil war amongst his followers using lies and deceit and snake oil. And regardless of the the human impact, what else is he going to do if he gets elected again? All bets are off at that point. Um, And that's a scary notion.
1: Patricia, I mean, it was said so much on social media that Jason and another member of the Oath Keepers, Stephen Ayers, They both had more courage testifying than a lot of Trump administration officials who have refused and Trump inner circle members who have refused to testify or have otherwise tried to skirt going before the January 6th committee hearing. And this just helped paint the picture of the wall, I guess, that was pulled over the heads of so many people who just bought the far right lies about election fraud and thought they were saving the country by plotting an insurrection.
2: Well, and I thought about this so much during and after January 6th, that it is an American almost um, tradition, fundamental belief. It, it is who we are as Americans to believe our president. That's why people send their children to war. That's why people volunteer for war. It's why people work for the government, go to Capitol Hill. You know, it it to to think that you believe the president and it could be part of a conspiracy. It could be part of a civil war. We heard the phrase civil war multiple times in that testimony earlier. That is terrifying. And when he said that he was afraid for the future, that literally gave me chills that this man who knows so much about what happened is worried about what's going to happen next. That was the first time I really thought, wow, we are knee deep in this and it's, it's not even close to over. So I think the testimony that we heard was unbelievably compelling I think we still have some distance to go before there's sort of a the direct link between Donald Trump specifically called specific people to make this happen you and, and I think that's the direction though that this committee's going uh, we also heard Liz Cheney say again that uh, she is very concerned about witness witness tampering uh, which is a crime and you know we hear so often that it's not the crime that's the cover-up well this is the cover-up she said that Donald Trump had specifically called and intimidated a witness that none of us has heard from or seen yet. She's aware of that, and that's something that I think she's looking for the Department of Justice to get involved in. So they are continuing with these hearings to unveil new layers of what unfolded, uh, new explanations of why that could be a conspiracy, and also new warnings to people who have not come forward yet that it's time for them to come forward just like these witnesses have. And it's been amazing to me. We have seen a number of young women who had worked in the Trump administration have come forward either to Mm -hmm. the committee in public testimony. A number have testified behind closed doors. They're on cable news. They are sharing what they know. They feel duty-bound more to their country than to what administration they were a part of. And even hearing witnesses from extremist groups be worried for the future. I mean, it's very hard to wrap your head around, but the committee is clearly building a very direct path to Donald Trump. Whether they finish that, whether they make that absolutely compelling, you know, they know that's the job ahead of them.
1: You know, rest assured that the other investigators we've been talking a lot about on this podcast and in our coverage, the Fulton County investigators who are, uh, who've who convened a special grand jury to look at Trump's attempts to overturn the Georgia election. They are watching this testimony in Washington very closely as well to try to build a link between the two. To me, Patricia, the, one of the most compelling statements was from Congressman Raskin who um, in his closing of the hearing, he said the Watergate break-in was like a Cub Scout meeting compared to this assault on our people and our institutions. So that, was, uh, that got me. <laughs> I hadn't heard it kind of put in those terms, but in a sense, this was an attack on the cornerstone of our democracy. This was an attempt that could have gotten, as so many people have testified, it could have been much worse, especially had Donald Trump gone through with that plan to personally show up at the Capitol and tried to assume power, like medieval times, right? Coronate himself, I don't know. But it, that, that one kind of hit home for me.
2: Yeah. And we also heard Mike Pence's name again today quite a bit. And Donald Trump's focus, almost obsession with Mike Pence, the former president's lawyers had taken a reference about Mike Pence's out of his speech that he was giving at the ellipse, the effort to sort of put pressure on Mike Pence and warn Mike Pence and tell the crowd that they should expect Mike Pence to do the right thing, that was taken out by staff lawyers. And Donald Trump put it back in all on his own. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was really relevant. And the you know one of the witnesses was talking about the gallows For Mike Pence. You know, was that a prop? Was there actually a plan? I think the challenge of this is all of it is so hard to believe. It's literally hard to believe. And I think that's why so many people are having a hard time mentally getting there with this and saying, could this actually happen in our country? And did it, you know? And that's what the committee's drawing for us right now.
1: Yeah, another compelling quote from Jason Van Tatenhove was. We should have missed words. This was going to be an armed insurrection with those gallows you talked about. So let's not kind of prance around it. Let's not try to sidestep the issue. This was the people like him who who showed up, or the people from the Oath Keepers and other far right groups who showed up. They weren't there just to have a peaceful protest. There is no good segue to go from there to the next subject, our final one before we close out the show. But Stacey Abrams, you know, we've talked about this so many times how she's on this sort of concerted effort to do this, anything you can do, I can do better game with Governor Kemp. (laughs) And over the weekend, we have yet the latest example of this. She wants the governor to expedite a billion dollars in funding to give tax rebates to Georgia residents, particularly those making under $250,000 per household to help folks who are struggling with inflation, with scarcity of certain key products, with higher gas prices, it's all part of a broader effort to show that, hey, she's playing offense on the economy as well. And it's also part of a broader effort to do what exactly what we said earlier, which is to one-up the governor because the governor signed legislation that gave a billion-dollar tax refund earlier. You know, She's also called for higher teacher pay raises than he put in place, $11,000 teacher pay raises she's pushing for, for additional law enforcement raises. And she wants him to suspend the gas tax, the state sales tax on gas for the entire year. Uh, He's so far done it month to month to month and hasn't committed to a full year yet. So- She's being very aggressive in her policy pronouncements, in part because hey, she's the underdog here. She's making no bones about it. She's running from behind, despite what some of the polls say. There was a Q poll that showed her running even. No one in Georgia, no political operatives believe that. She's running from behind. He knows he's uh, he's in the catbird seat, but who knows how long? He's so far he's he's sticking to his timeline. He's he's not expected to issue his own policy proposals until later on in late summer, early fall. But in the meantime. Um, she's pummeling him every single day saying, Hey, wh- where's your plan? Here's mine.
2: Well, Brian Kemp is in this unusually strong position because he came just barreling out of his own primary with a 50 point lead and just completely <laughs> smashed and demolished David Perdue, which was really a much stronger showing than had been expected. And because of that David Perdue challenge from Donald Trump, it is much harder as a result to paint Brian Kemp as an extremist Donald Trump crony. you know, And I think that had been the hope of Democrats. That certainly is the um, the approach of Democrats to other Republicans, either in Georgia and around the country. So if you can tie somebody to Trump, and it's not very hard to tie most Republicans to Trump, that is why Georgians won the last time around. That Why Democrats won Georgia was because of Donald Trump. So uh, Donald Trump is just the gift that keeps on giving. When he is off the table, when he has been neutralized by events, as Brian Kemp's situation has unfurled, he's just a lot harder to paint as a demonic monster who's out to ruin the state. Um, He becomes somebody who has stood up to the president of his own party for the laws of this state. Now, uh, what can you do with that? I think the Democrats in Georgia recognize that not just that along with the decision to sign constitutional carry and really push gun regulations just about as far as we've ever seen here in this state in terms of loosening gun restrictions, which Brian Kemp has done. The decision on Roe v. Wade, I think, has really scrambled the calculation of which voters are up for grabs. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there is a group of moderate Republicans and even some kind of moderate Democrats and people in the middle, this group of people who consider themselves um, socially moderate in fiscally conservative or socially liberal, fiscally moderate, some bucket of that. If you can give them Brian Kemp's economic policies, but not make them take Brian Kemp's position on abortion, then you've got a way to appeal to a group of voters who were not up for grabs before that Dobbs decision came down. And so I think that really pushing on these economic message because Georgia's economy is just absolutely on fire in many, many ways. If she can say, hey, nobody worry, the economy is going to keep roaring. I'm going to do a lot of the same stuff he's doing, but you're not going to have to have abortion outlawed for you and your daughters. I mean, that will be a compelling case for some voters that was not available to Democrats six weeks ago.
1: But also one that, you know, unless there's a legal challenge, she can't fulfill that promise on because there's still going to be a Republican legislature. So it'd be really hard for her to get a, uh, a closely divided legislature, but still one controlled by the GOP, unless there's some sort of unforeseen landslide to roll back those abortion restrictions. So we will see how that plays out. It reminds me all of uh, you know another thing we've been talking about, which is David Perdue might've been Brian Kemp's biggest gift because the trouncing not only did he was he able to consolidate Republican support, but also at the same time, he he doesn't look as as you mentioned, he doesn't look as extreme to many voters because David Perdue was right. He said that Trump won and that David Perdue won the election. He called for all sorts of far right proposals, and you know went far to Kemp's right on on certain issues like tax cuts and incentives and other issues said he would have outlawed abortion outright, all that stuff that Kemp hasn't said he would stake out his policy issues. Uh, David Perdue has. So, you know, the 2018 race was as polarizing as they get, but somehow, you know, Kemp, Kemp has emerged as not as, even though he's very conservative as not as, you know, to, to some voters, at least he's not seen as uh, he's seen as more, uh, uh, appetizing, I guess. <laughs> to, appetizing. Someone like, as delicious, app- <laughs> delicious <laughs> as uh, as appealing, maybe than David Perdue or, or other candidates on the far right fringes. That reminds me, Patricia. If you have a question, if any of our listeners have a question for Patricia or me about Georgia politics or about our grammar, you can call us on the <laughs> Politically Georgia <laughs> podcast line, and we'll yes. answer your questions on our Friday episodes of Politically Georgia. That number is seven seven zero. 810-5297. And it again is 770-810-5297. It is staffed 24 hours, seven days a week. We have we have faithful operatives waiting on the lines. So we can't wait to hear your questions. You can also just email us or tweet us your questions as well. Patricia's email is pmurphy at ajc.com. Mine is gblustein at ajc.com. And before we go, I goofed. In our last episode, I conflated somehow Fair Fight with New Georgia Project. They're both Stacey Abrams-originated groups, so I can sort of see how I goof, but I also have been writing about them for, in the case of Fair Fight, almost a decade. So I don't know how I goofed, but I did. So my bad, my apologies. And that wraps it up for another episode of Politically Georgia. You can count on new episodes of this podcast to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or really whenever big news breaks. Uh, we also feature special episodes often that dive deeper into exclusive AJC investigations, including our Dangerous Dwellings package. If you missed that terrific investigative series, you should certainly give it a read on AJC.com and listen to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And we will see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC.